0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about soil testing. It's something we've been working on on our farm already. We've got a little bit of of the crop out, our silage is out, gotten a start on the soybean side and we're, we're basically chasing the combine out of the field with soil testing. We want to get out there, see what we need for nutrition for next year's crop and Start building those programs up as we go. So we'll talk about soil testing today. If you haven't been doing enough testing on your farm, we'll talk about, all right, what's the transition period here? How do you get started? And when you feel like I don't fully understand all of this, I know sometimes you say, well, I don't fully understand it. I'm a little nervous about doing it, but We'll, we'll give you some hope and give you a plan here going into this year and just a little encouragement because you don't have to know everything about it, but you need to pull some of your own soil samples. That, that's how you learn the best when you've got an economic incentive and also you want your field to be the best, too.
1: Here are three mistakes, though, that we will commonly see when people are soil testing, and this is the biggest one to begin with. They don't pick a GPS point. Here's why you have to pick a GPS point. I don't care if you're in grids or zones. I don't care how big or small that grid or zone is, but you need to pick a GPS point. Number one, the main reason why you need to do this is you want to match up yield with your soil test information. If you do this, it's going to be amazing for you. It has really, really helped us on our farm figure out which fertility things are making us money, which ones aren't. And what level do we need to be at to hit certain yields because there's nobody that can really tell you. All kinds of people can tell you how much the crop actually needs, but nobody can tell you in your soil, what soil test level do you need to have to maximize your yield? That's something you can figure out yourself if you use a GPS point. The reason, again, is and the number one reason why you want that GPS point is you're going to take then your yield data in that point and link that now to your soil test data. And if you do that at every GPS point on your farm where you've soil tested, you'll be able to chart things out. And it's, oh, wow, is it powerful information. So we've we've done this manually. You can do this. There's a uh, software program out there now called Verify, V-R-A-F-Y, that we're using that Um, We'll do it automatically for you, but it's great. Okay, so you have to have a GPS point. And if you or whoever is sampling your fields is not doing it by GPS points, get them corrected. Get yourself corrected today so you can get this data because it's amazing. The other reason why you want a GPS point is now you have repeatability. So then you can go back to that same GPS point next year, year after, four years from now, whenever it is. And then you can really track, okay, how are we doing because here's what happens usually, people will do even if they do grids or zones. They could be anywhere in that grid or zone. Well, within that grid or zone, even I don't care if even if it's one acre, one acre is the size of a football field. Go look at any football field out there. Is it exactly the same from one end to the to the other? No way. So you want to pick the same point, and that way you have repeatability. You can see. Hey, is my pH going up or down? Are my soil test levels going up or down? How am I do- actually doing here? So, GPS points number one. That's the biggest mistake most people make. Number two is not keeping the probe straight up and down. This is It's pretty simple, and most people do it right, but some people don't. They aren't paying attention, they're in a hurry, whatever, and they go at an angle. Make sure you go straight up and down. With your soil test probe, that way you're always going to the same depth. And number three is going to the same depth. So make a mark on your probe. I don't care if you want to do 6-inch tests, you want to do 8-inch tests, whatever it is you decide you're going to do on your farm, you want to pick that then you want to be consistent with every sample that you pull. So with each soil test spot, you want to pull 8 to 12 cores. So we suggest going to that GPS point. Take a 5 or 10-foot radius right around that point. Pull your 8 or 10 cores or 12, whatever, and then you throw that all together. There's your sample. Okay, It's really not difficult, this whole soil testing thing. Not challenging. It's just we want to make sure that everybody is consistent in how they are doing it. If you got a GPS point, you're always keeping the probe straight up and down. You always go to the same depth. Now we have repeatability, consistency, we can count on the data. It's awesome. Because if you give us bad data, then we're going to give you back bad recommendations. That's just the way it is. And the other big thing is you're going to see variability in your field. Don't get disillusioned when you go, oh, man, I got, I got some areas that are high pH and other areas that are low. I got some areas that are high in K and others that are low. I, it's going to be all across the board. That's okay for today today. It's just now that we've identified it, now we're going to go fix it. okay? And that's the main reason why we want you to soil test is so you can fix issues that are out in your field. If you don't have that soil test data, now you're just guessing. You're guessing. And I I just want you to think about this for a second. You're probably going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on fertilizer, and your crop could potentially be worth millions of dollars. So do you want to guess when you're going to spend hundreds of thousands and you have at risk millions of dollars. are you a million dollar gambler? I'm not <laughs> well I kind of am but I I want as much data as I possibly can have so I make a better decision and I have a much more educated guess and I you know we're when we are farming we all have lots of risk. So what we're trying to do with this is minimize the risk. That's why you need to start comparing your soil tests with your yields and figuring out what fertility is making you money and what isn't. You need to do variable rate across the farm. So the areas that have lots of fertilizer already, you don't waste money putting more on there. But in areas that are terribly depleted, you put an adequate supply so you raise the level appropriately so you can maximize your yield. When you're going out there just doing a flat rate across everything, you're doing, let's say it's composite tests, soil tests. You take one test for the whole 80 acre field. That's not helping you. It's not. I I mean, some people might say it's better than nothing. I don't know. I think nothing might be better than that. So we'll talk more about soil testing, why it's so important and what you need to look for on your farm
2: helping you do the biggest job on earth.
3: You've done it, your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com.
4: Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at Fuel.Closs.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Closs is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to Fuel.Closs.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Closs dealer. That's Fuel.ClAas.com.
0: back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking soil testing today on the show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Illinois right now, we got Harry on with us. How's it going, Harry?
5: Better than I deserve.
0: You guys How are get, you? Oh, well, we're doing pretty good. Harvest has started slowly here. How about for you guys?
5: Starting slowly. Yeah, we've got about 50 acres of corn picked
0: you know, that's been the debate here this summer with all the heat we had. A lot of guys are saying, man, be ready. Corn's coming ready first. Uh, is that normal for you or is this an unusual year?
5: Usually we have a little, we planted some earlier corn uh, to try and get a little bit of corn done before we went to beans. And we got some, some early beans where the wheat's going to go that are about ready. So uh, it's working out kind of like my nephew's planned.
0: Yeah. All right. So talk to us about the soil sampling just a little bit, because if you've got wheat that goes in in the fall, you've got a little window there after beans, but boy, not too much because you usually want to put the wheat right in. Uh, when do you, when right. do you try and fit soil sampling into that whole rotation?
5: Uh, soil sampling is usually done in the spring. And uh, then we have time for the agronomist to give us a, a prescription to... Put the fertilizer on in the fall of the year. We're not rushed to get all of that done, and that's the way we've done it for 20 years or so, and it seemed to have worked.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of the prescription too. When when you look at that, it, does that mean variable rate necessarily? Does that mean just changing rate by field? Uh, what are some of the things you've targeted? Variable, I'm assuming
5: variable rate, yeah, variable rate, and we take into he, he's got a prescription or he's got an algorithm that he built uh, in SMS that takes into account the yield from this year. Or, well, he doesn't take in the yield from the last two years as well as the last soil test. And then based on the, on the amount of yield that we had, adding the removal back in.
0: You know, that's a big thing when we look at a lot of folks will say, well, I'm on a three-year rotation or a four-year rotation with soil sampling. It's figuring out, hey, how did it vary in those years in between? So I I agree with you. I think that's a great way to look at things is just let's see what those last crops were. Let's figure out what we're going to remove and look at what our goals are here going forward so we don't fall behind and we keep building things up. You know, for us, Harry, we were targeting building organic matter as part of this, not just the nutrient levels. What have you seen over the years? So you get to look at, at soils and, and at these farms, I would assume a lot of the the same ground you've had for, for many, many years. What have you seen? What's been the trend over the years?
5: Well, the organic matter has climbed a little bit. Several years ago, uh, probably eight years ago, we started uh, – putting the cover crop on when we cut soybeans. Yeah, we had a cedar that was on the platform, and uh, we planted some annual ryegrass and crimson clover and some seed. And I think that built up our organic matter a little bit uh, by having a, a kind of diverse, uh, another different kind of diversity out there in the wintertime. Uh, we had a little challenge with it because... We were raising non-GMO corn. A lot of times the annual ryegrass was hard to kill in the spring. There's always a little hard seed, so that was always coming back even a year after we had planted it. So uh, they're kind of rooting me out. I'm seven B76, so my nephews, have, they've got a different combine, and it doesn't have a seeder on it. But we still fly a little bit of cover crops on for our CSP program in the fall of the year but we haven't done as much just a little harder to manage I guess
0: yeah it's always interesting with the transition from one generation to the next I know we have plenty of stories about transitioning the farm from my dad's generation to ours and and he had plenty of stories uh, uh, transitioning from the previous generation too so thanks for sharing that Harry we really appreciate it and good luck to you guys as harvest is just getting going there
5: thank you very much you too
0: yeah so down to Arkansas, we get got Trent Roberts with us, who's with the University of Arkansas. How's it going, Trent? Oh, well, it's going good.
6: We're uh, actually getting ready for our big uh, departmental fall picnic tonight, so I'm looking
0: forward to some good barbecue. Oh, man, that sounds really good. <laughs> that sounds really good. It's that time of year. It's just perfect, beautiful weather and... Uh, Just fun to get together. Hey, we're talking soil testing today. I mean, that's another fun project on our farm. We kind of pull everybody that we can. Hey, we got tests. We got to get pulled here because we're going to be doing some application, whether it be manure or commercial fertilizer or possibly even some tillage out in some of these fields. So we kind of got a a time limit on getting those things done. What are some pieces of advice you'd give to farmers as they're kind of hitting this soil testing season?
6: well so i think there's really three key things that i i really try to reiterate to producers is you know one soil sampling soil testing is not an exact science right so i mean we do our best to try to quantify an index of plant available nutrients in the soil to help you predict your fertilizer rates but it's not an exact science you know the second thing i always try to reiterate to producers is consistency is the key so, whether you're on a, an annual sampling schedule or a two- or a three-year sampling schedule, you know, consistency and how and when you take those soil samples is going to be very, very important. And then thirdly, you know, when you look at those soil test reports and you look at those nutrient concentrations, you know, just just kind of think of it as a fuel gauge, but a somewhat rudimentary fuel gauge. So, you know, a lot of times in our new vehicles, we can look and it'll say, you're 422 miles to E. Well, soil testing is not that precise. You know, it's more like the old school fuel gauges where it's like, okay, you're at a quarter of a tank, you're half empty. So the resolution isn't, you know, near what we would want it to be, but it definitely gives you an indicator of your nutrient availability and what you're going to have to apply to make maximal yield.
0: Well, they are definitely like that fuel gauge. You had to tap a couple times, Trent, just to see if that needle (laughs) (laughs) moved just a little bit. Uh, But, you know, it's one of those things that I I talk to farmers all the time. They're kind of scared about it. It's, well, I don't fully understand everything on there, and I'm always working with a fertility expert or an agronomist or something else. I don't think it's that complicated. I think it just takes a little bit of time to learn like everything else on the farm.
6: Oh, exactly. And I think the more, like anything, the more time you invest in understanding it, then the more comfortable you get with it. And I think part of what's hard for producers to understand is this idea of an index. I mean, we're measuring, you know, immediately plant available nutrients, but we're also measuring a portion of kind of labile nutrients, but we're not measuring the total nutrient content in the soil. So it's, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a black box, right, in what we're measuring. But as long as the correlation and the calibration and the research is done correctly, you know, you can feel confident that that number can be related to a fertilizer rate and a yield goal.
0: You know, uh, going back to your comment, it's not an exact science, and I think we do a lot of times throw up roadblocks of, well, I'm doing a cover crop and that's kind of going to mess this up. Or, well, the manure application not going to be perfectly even out there. Well, no kidding. Nothing's perfect out there in the field. <laughs> so you, you just have to start, use the best data you got and try and make the best call. And obviously we're raising bigger yields and we see what the fertilizer bills are and, and the amount of uh, chicken litter or manure that are getting put out in these fields. So, They're obviously doing some things right here, trying to to make the nutrients turn into bushels.
6: Well, yeah. And, you know, in my soil fertility class, I always preach, you know, thermodynamics. Energy isn't created or destroyed. And I try to convey that over into nutrient management. You know, these soils aren't generating nutrients. They have a finite capacity to store and supply nutrients. So, As we increase crop yields and we increase nutrient removal, at some point, the soil is going to run out of supply or we're going to have to make up the difference. And the bigger the yields we haul off, the more fertilizer we're going to have to put back to either
0: maintain that yield or we're going to start to see yields drop. Yeah, that is exactly right. couldn't have said it any better. Trent Roberts, University of Arkansas. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yep. Thank you. I also love that Trent said, in my soil fertility class. Hey, I encourage you, take some classes, learn about this. Soil fertility is super important. We'll talk more about soil testing coming up right after this.
2: The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together, we can uproot the stigma.
4: In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. When it comes to combines, capacity and costs keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Treon 740. The latest Kloss combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Treon 740. Learn more at claas.com.
2: When nematode pressure mounts, seed applied TruNemco provides assurance. Growers using TruNemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere. And we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a TruNemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited, see full rules. newfarm.com
3: forward slash top grower.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking soil testing on today's show. And this is this is what I like. Here's one of the fun things about doing radio is not only if you've got a question, you can call in 844-44-AG-PHD, but you can also email us radio at agphd.com. Uh, and soil testing, well, it's the perfect thing. You can email your soil test and then we can talk to you and say, okay, well, what do you think here? And compare some notes and that's exactly what we've done here with Gordon. Uh, We've uh, we've got Gordon on right now in Indiana on the phone and we've also got soil test results right in front of us. How are you doing Gordon? I'm doing fine. Hope you guys are well. Oh, we're doing well except for one thing. Janelle printed out your soil test in some extremely fine print. Uh, but fortunately I've got some assistants here to read these, so I
1: can actually see them. That is one of the things. There's a lot of data on a soil test. Uh, I don't need any assistance, Gordon, even though I'm old. But anyway, it is it is pretty small print. But, hey, I, I noticed when I'm looking at these soil tests, uh, pH is a little bit low. I would assume you 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 normally have to talk about lime on your farm, correct?
7: Yes, sir.
1: Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. So what what are your biggest questions? I mean, that's always the first thing we look at, and I just happen to notice that first. Oh, but what are your? Well, here, let me oh, start with this, Gordon. Yeah.
0: Uh, these samples were taken in the strip till area from spring application in your third year of spring strip till. So you're pulling it out of the treated strips, or are you rotating and pulling some in the strip and some out?
7: These these were specifically uh, like six inches on each side of the corn soybean plants, and so we were trying to see what's really right there that the plant had access to.
0: Excellent.
1: Okay. So, so what are your biggest questions for us in looking at your soil tests?
7: Well, one thing of course we know it's very, very dry trying to be able to take these samples. And so they're maybe not truly representative, but we're also at the time of the year when the plant's basically done taking up nutrients, either because of where it's at or because it's very dry. And so I think this might be our worst case scenario type situation. And, uh, you know, as, as we look across them right there, yes, our pH is down. Uh, we'll address these come this fall on taking soil samples. And I will say that we have done, for your recommendations, from farm fields on one acre grids, and we have learned a lot of information doing the one acre grids and think that that has really helped our liming to get things more precise.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, okay, so you mentioned dry soil. Let's talk about that first. A lot of times we will see that the pH level will be just a little bit lower than normal. I'd say two-tenths to even a half a point lower It's possible. I don't know for sure how dry your ground is, but that's the, that's one of the things I would say. So, for example, on our farm last fall when we pulled our soil tests, normally we'll start liming anywhere in the fives but last year I said you know what we're going to drop that down a little bit to maybe five seven five eight because I'm going to guess that that five seven or five eight because we were so bone dry and had been for over two years up to that point I said you know I'll bet you it's a six six two something like that and we had some lime put out there about two, three years ago. So I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not fully broken down yet. Maybe our pH is a little low. So I said, unless it's less than maybe five, seven or five, eight, I don't know that I want to do anything right now. So I guess that's my first question is with lime. And I was guessing you guys probably do lime regularly. When would have been the last time you would have put lime out on these fields where you sent us the soil test results?
7: Um, I mean, we we're liming. Or we're uh, soil testing every three years, and so we we put on lime immediately after we get the soil sample. So it's a, it's a three-year rotation on that. Normal. Okay,
1: so in other words, if it's three years ago, we aren't expecting that there's any lime left. So you're not getting any activity out of that. On the potassium, a lot of times we will figure that's a little bit on the low side too. Not much but a little bit on the low side if things are really, really dry. So, I I mean, your potassium levels certainly don't look bad on the base saturation test. Just about everything is 4 or higher. Your parts per million, though, is slightly concerning. You've got as low as 154 and 180, which right away is telling me we're dealing with a little bit lighter soil. And then I go and I look over at your cation exchange capacity, and in those spots, you get got a 9 CEC, a 12 CEC. So you have some heavier spots, all the way up to 20. But in those lighter spots, that's where I'm probably uh, pretty interested in getting a little bit more K out there, whether it's now or in season.
7: So from that statement there, in other words, we have not variable rated our spring strip, though, and We've just been flat rating it. Yep. Uh, We don't, we've just got a single box on the machine that we currently have. So your options there would be able to just simply raise up the rate from 300 to 360 or something like that, for example. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So let's talk about that just a little bit. When it's, when we're looking at soil tests, we're not saying we have to be at exactly this. We just kind of look at a general range. So then you have a little more flexibility. So for example, with potassium here, Um, Yeah, you are as low as 154 parts per million, which in my book is too low. But, I mean, the highest you've got anywhere is 348 parts per million. And only, let's see, in that spot, we're only at 5.5% base saturation K. So, in other words, that is certainly not too high on either the parts per million or the base saturation potassium percentage. So, I don't have a big issue if you're bumping your rates just a little bit. I'm I'm not going to go way overboard or anything, but I'm simply saying you can continue to put on K at a set level all across your ground, and I think you're going to be just fine.
7: Yeah, one of the things that uh, made note in there that these are sample points of where we did full tissues this this summer, and so we we really haven't put them all down there together side to side, but that's going to be something we look at with the soils and, and I don't know, maybe we go back in six weeks or eight weeks, assuming that it rains, and if you pull the uh, soil samples on these same points again and see what it said.
1: Yeah, now, it, just for clarity here, it has whatever you had on this field, it has been harvested or it was harvested when you pulled these samples?
7: No, no, I went out in the field and pulled these.
1: Yeah, okay, and so was the crop done? I mean, like brown, or was there any green in the crop yet?
7: There's, there's still a little bit of green in the corn crop. Okay. The beans, uh, yeah, I mean, it was taken 10 days ago, roughly.
1: Yeah, okay. So the reason why I'm asking this question is when we do get late in the season, is it possible that we're done and your figures aren't going to change much? Yeah, that's certainly possible. But if you've got any green out there, that's telling me the plant may be pulling in some more nutrients. And we are early enough in the year, and it's still warm enough, where you're going to get some organic matter mineralization. In other words, your nitrogen could go up a little bit, your phosphorus, your sulfur. So, I mean, there are some things that could be a little higher. So typically, I mean, and you can do it the way you did. I don't have any real big issue with that but you're right the 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 figures could vary at least a little bit this is going to get us in the general ballpark though so i i feel pretty comfortable with this but on our farm we always wait until after harvest and then we sample and we kind of go from there but yeah it, i mean yeah. this may be as low about as low as you get or close to it
7: sure uh the mag level i just for your information down here we're we're kind of blessed in the area where we we've got mag lime or we've got high calcium lime not too far away so yeah. we can kind of Make that number go either
1: way we want to. Yep, perfect. Because, yes, you are a little bit low on the magnesium. Not bad, but if it's me, I'm probably using dolomitic lime. If I'm at a 9% for base saturation magnesium, that's a little lower than what we would like to see. And so, yes, I I definitely think that's the way you go there. Uh, Phosphorus, that was the other one that kind of stood out to me where I said, hey, we're we're as low as 48, uh, and that's parts per million. Phosphorus. Now, I'm not sure what test that is, but anyway, well, may, maybe you know. Do you know what, what kind of test I, that was? I, is that a Malic 3 or what is it?
7: I do not know that off the top of my head, Brian.
1: Okay. That will make a little bit of difference in what we're typically going to talk about, because if it's a Malik-3 test, or let's say it's a strong Bray test, a P2 test, uh, then that's telling you what's there today and what hopefully should come available next year. If Let's say, for example, and I know this isn't, but let's say, for example, this was an Olson test uh, or even a weak Bray P1 test. That's just what's available today. And so then I'm not nearly as worried about your 48 on parts per million phosphorus as I would be if this was a Malik 3 test. So anyway, you've you've got this range of as low as 48 all the way up to as high as 291. Parts per million. So when we're putting out, when you are putting out a set rate of phosphorus across the whole farm, the 291, you add more phosphorus to that, it's not going to help you. When you add to the 48, it's almost certainly going to help you. So then what I start looking at is ratios phosphorus to zinc, uh, and usually we want that somewhere around 10 to 1, and phosphorus to copper, usually somewhere 30 to 1, maybe. So for example, that 291 on phosphorus. You're only at 2.5 parts per million of copper. So if it's me, I'm probably going to bump that just a little bit. If you want to talk more about your test, just hang on Gordon. We'll be right back.
7: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers.
6: Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
2: Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
4: Good morning and hallelujah! My spray and pray days are over!
7: What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo!
4: We'd field heaven
7: and Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard.
4: This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So,
7: how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com.
4: It's gonna be a good year! Always
7: read and follow label directions.
4: you ready? We got the need! The
2: need for seed treatment! Start Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking about soil testing. And right before the break we were visiting with Gordon from Indiana about his soil tests. And he had just said he's applying a set rate of P and K across his acres in strip till. We do some of that exact same kind of thing. I just had brought up there are some variants there with phosphorus. And that was one of my concerns uh, most most everything else I'm not too terribly worried about, uh, but the phosphorus level, we got a big variance. So we're as low as 48 parts per million, and that's concerning. Uh, we're as high as 291 parts per million, and I don't have a real big issue with that. It's just that if we put more phosphorus out there, we're probably not going to gain much. And if we don't have zinc and, and copper at fairly good levels, don't have to be super high or anything, but at fairly good levels, then we actually may do more harm than good by putting out more phosphorus. So Gordon, we've been in this exact same situation. And what we'll typically do then is we will go out and do a little bit of broadcast, even though we're strip tilling. So I, I know it may seem a little bit like overkill, but uh, so for example, last fall, we went out to every field and we made sure that we had our all spots that weren't At least at 100 parts per million on phosphorus, we broadcast, got them up to 100 parts per million on phosphorus, and yeah, it's not all tilled in immediately, but we just figure, hey, if we if we are in strip till, we don't have a lot of erosion typically in the strip till fields or anything. There'll be a little bit that goes into the ground, and then eventually, when we do work that in, uh, some type of tillage at some point in the future, we'll have that a little bit more straightened out, and. Even with the strip-till, we are moving a little bit of dirt, with the planter moving a little bit of dirt, so some of it is going to get into the ground at least a little bit. So we went out and broadcasted in those bad, in low spots, I should say. So, for example, like on the soil test you sent us, I see five spots where you're below 100. Now, I'm not saying 100 is the number you have to hit. I'm simply saying if this was my farm, that's what I would have done last fall. I'd have gone and broadcast in those spots just to get them up to 100, And just in those spots. And then I would have gone with maybe a little bit lower rate on phosphorus across the board on everything in my strip till. Still would have put a little bit out, but I wouldn't have done a lot. And on your explanation here, it said it looked like you applied 60% of grain removal for both corn and soybeans. Um, And, you know, something like that is perhaps appropriate, maybe a little bit less on the phosphorus. Uh, if you want to try mining out at least a little bit more in some of those really high areas like you had the 291. So I guess those are are kind of my general thoughts on this and then like I had said you know you might want to look at just a couple spots of copper, a couple spots of zinc that might be a hair on the low side but um, nothing terribly worrisome. Other than this, um, I see one spot that says 21 parts per million on copper and 98 parts per million on zinc. Do you know anything about that spot and why the copper and the zinc might be so high?
7: Uh, I didn't have rerun that sample, but I, I think, yeah, I'm going to rerun it again <laughs> here and see what happens.
1: Yeah, that, 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 that seemed. Um, Well, it was, you know, way higher than all the rest of your tests, like five times or more higher than everything else. So it seemed like an anomaly. Now, I will say, like on our farm, we've been out spreading micronutrients, and I've I've seen a spot like that and the next fall, and then I ask our guys, and I'm like, hey, guys, what what happened here? Well, we had a little problem with the spreader. (laughs) So it can happen. I'm not saying it can't, but yeah, that just seemed like an anomaly.
7: Do you think, from you guys, using the strip till as many years as you have, that you're when you're looking now at your mm-hmm. tissue samples, that they come back more balanced because of the strip till? You got more more goodies in that row.
1: Not necessarily. And here's here's what I mean by that. Uh, when we're going out doing something kind of similar to what you uh, you are, but we've typically put out in the strip till a hundred percent of grain removal. Um, It doesn't really fix any issues out there. So what we've been finding is things like these ratios. I was just talking about phosphorus to copper or phosphorus to zinc. It's a bigger deal than I thought it was a few years ago. So if we don't fix the issue, then the issue remains. And I'm not saying it's terrible or our yields are bad in strip till or anything like that. But I am saying I kind of like doing some of this variable rate stuff. Like in a broadcast, for example, Uh, could be with strip-till, but uh, somehow, some way, it's nice having variable rate. But the challenge is I can't just go out there with, oh, this is this set blend of P and K and zinc and copper, and I'm going to vary the rate of the whole thing because you see where I'm going with this. Like in uh, in our floater, we've got three compartments, so I can vary my P, I can vary my K, and I can vary my zinc. And now I can start getting these things into the balance that I'm looking for. So, I, I, I mean, it's it's been good. The strip tail has, but I almost think rather than the fertility side, I mean, and the fertility's been good. It's been nice getting more roots deep and getting the fertilizer down deeper in the soil because we're we're just we're dry a lot. I mean, it, it just doesn't seem like it rains here anymore since 2019. So, getting roots deep for us is a really big deal. So like in some of our silage areas that had been worked and silage trucks are out there and everything else. And boy, where we have compaction, it's brutal in a dry year like this. So I love the strip till in a year like this. The roots are going down, the crop looks great, and we have better yields.
7: Right. The the boron, just for information, we've put on 10 pounds for the last three years in the strips and, and we are finally starting to move the numbers in the soil. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yes. And, and Thanks, that's good. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, Gordon. Appreciate it. Take care. You too.
0: Yeah, I, like, I like that last line too here. Just, hey, we've been building on this for a while. I was talking to another farmer earlier today and he said, I, I heard you guys talk about 4% base saturation K and thought that's not in the budget to do in one shot, but I started putting on double crop removal. And then he said I had a year where the Potash price got really cheap, yep. and I did triple crop removal and took a big jump forward. Yep. But he said, I eventually got there, and what a difference has that made? And, you know, all these fertility things that we talk about, we aren't saying you need to go broke this year, trying to get to every... You know, really nice level in one shot. But we do want you to to understand where you're at and start looking, okay, which ones are going to be the most limiting? Where am I the furthest away from uh, having what my crop needs? And you start building those things
1: up. Yeah, but here's the thing. I, I, I feel too often that we focus on budget. And again, don't get me wrong we don't want to we don't want to put ourselves in a horrible cash position or anything else but this is where small trials really come in and we started on a small scale working on this it's been 23 years ago now cuz i believe it was the year 2000 when we started running some big rates on a small scale and we found it paid year 1 and we go whoa okay maybe we need to rethink this a little bit what we didn't think we could afford It apparently looks like we can if we have certain soil test levels. So that's why I was just saying, like in Gordon's case there, okay, if he's clear down to 48 parts per million on phosphorus and he's going for big-time yields, okay, we're not talking small yields. We're going for big-time yields. That's probably not going to be enough. That's not going to do it. So you can put on this low rate and, you know, do this everywhere, but then you're probably leaving a bunch of yield on the table, so why not, for that one nutrient in that one area, spend the money? And here's the other thing. When we talk about budgets, very often with people, they're saying, well, I'm going to put this much on across the board. Okay, And just like in Gordon's case there, he has many spots on the farm where I look at it and I go, I, I, you're great here on phosphorus. So you can put more on there and maintain. It's probably not, probably not going to hurt anything. But let's flip this around. Okay, And, yes, it is more challenging in a strip-till situation than it is in a broadcast situation. But I'm simply saying if we take the areas where we don't need to spend money, we take those dollars, and then we put it where we do need to spend money, now all of a sudden you didn't blow your budget out and you fixed the problem.
0: Well, understanding the area, like you, you were just saying there, understanding where those areas are is really important. And here's the other thing. I just think about all those bad areas of the field where we're dumping fertilizer needlessly and to me it's like that's the easiest dollars that hey i can put those right back in the budget and but, move them over to where okay, I okay but get
1: you again. use the word bad areas
0: yeah say uh, you've got a horrible drainage area you've got uh, a salt buildup that's tremendous and it's going to take sure. a while to turn yes. that around yes yes why on if earth would you case. dump p and k
1: in those spots they're probably those levels are probably already super high They may be, but this is why we want you to soil test, because without the soil test, again, we're guessing. And why guess when you've got hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars at stake? Pull some soil tests. It is
0: why we talk about soil testing so often on our show and talk about soil tests and what to do about them. We'll discuss it a little more coming up right after this.
4: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior strip tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at
8: SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712 520 6051.
2: So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher-yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about soil testing on our show and also got into some questions there with Gordon over in Indiana and get a question that came in from Logan down in New Zealand here yep. as well.
1: So let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag
0: time with Brian and Darren. All right. So uh, Logan sent uh, some background information about the rotation here with grass and with silage that they're using for dairy. Uh, and and then a little information about his soil. So it's a little different than some of the soils that we hear about on our show. He said, our soil is a volcanic ash. It's free draining. It's slightly acidic. And it's 5 to 10% organic matter. The other thing, and this is a term that we don't hear about here. He said, we have 91% anion storage capacity. So negatively charged nutrients, uh, it can hold a little better. Now, part of that, I think, is this organic matter, brand that that's quite high. Um, Wait, where do you see organic matter? Uh, he just wrote it here on the sheet well, so five, what is it five to ten percent
1: oh okay I was gonna say I don't have a an organic matter level on these okay, tests five to ten
0: percent so okay. he That's said helpful. my question today is around sulfur my tests read very high uh, and part of that 92 to 158 milligrams per kilogram which would be the same as parts per million right Yep. Mm -hmm. and he said so i'm just curious what you you see about that that. and he said part of that's the volcanic ash of course and then we
1: see some guys with a thousand parts per million of sulfur in poor drain poorly drained areas and it doesn't and the sulfur isn't going to kill you at a hundred or 150 so i'm i'm not worried about it at all okay even at a thousand i'm not like unbelievably worried as long as everything else is great
0: all right so he said his field did show some signs of nitrogen deficiency on leaves and uh, attached are his test results the march harvest plant analysis was a whole plant analysis uh he also did a plant tissue test at v3 or v4 back in november which again the whole plant randomly sampled through the field so he did take some some test results here, and then he said, "I do have also a below table here is a comparison of soil tests through the years." In the green columns, the white columns are nutrients applied, um, starter, side dress, and so forth. So we got a lot of data here.
1: <laughs> okay. So what? But what else? What else did he have for a well, question? I was curious about, the, the, sulfur. about the sulfur and yep, then about the nitrogen.
0: That. Then what do you think there?
1: Well, okay. The cation exchange capacity says 23, 26, something like that. Out of your soil organic matter, typically, it's you're going to get, in our area of the world, we talk 20 pounds for every 1% of yeah, organic and matter.
0: And they've got a you know really so, moderate climate there. They don't really freeze. They kind of get down to the freezing yeah. point and then... Uh, Even though, and I know you get some cold winds in New Zealand because those winds coming off Antarctica are going to blow across there, but it's still not that cold. But it's also a little milder at the top. It's more like 80 in the hot weather, 80 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, rather than 90 or 100 like we would get sometimes. So maybe I'd say the 20 might be 20 parts or 20 pounds of nitrogen out of each 1% of organic matter compared to our... 20 to 30 here would be my guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think so. But okay, let's just say, for example, it's 20. Uh, that's 100 to 200 pounds. And according to this, he says that he put on for nitrogen, uh, 282 pounds, or sorry, that's 282 kilograms per hectare. So that converts to 251 pounds per acre. So, if he put on 251 pounds, I would like to know, is that pounds of urea? Is it pounds of 28%? Is it pounds of actual N?
0: Okay. So, it looks like side dress, 290 kilograms per hectare of urea.
1: Yeah. See, so that's not really it. So, you got to multiply that times 46. So, you're only 120 pounds, roughly. I'm just ballparking it. 120 pounds. You only put on 120 pounds. So, if... You didn't have the mineralization out of that organic matter that you were looking for. I could see how you could run short. And, I, I mean, look, especially when it's unique soil, experimentation is really what matters. And I would say if it's me and I think that I'm short on nitrogen— well, you know where I'm going. I'm putting more nitrogen on, and I'm going to run some experiments. I'm going to try different rates, different timings, things like that. Now, normally, when we see a cation exchange capacity of 23, 26, whatever, we're going, yeah, I'm not, I don't have a lot of risk for loss. And especially if I've got 5 to 10% organic matter, I usually don't figure I have a lot of loss. And when your sulfur levels are good, nitrogen gets used more efficiently in the plant. So, here again, it I mean, when I look at this information, that wouldn't have been the first thing I would have thought that, oh, we're going to have issues with not enough nitrogen. So, uh, but what kind of yield goal were we talking? What did he, did well, you he say? said he
0: harvested 22 and a half ton silage. Let's see here. 22 and a half tons per hectare and the grass... Uh, you got eight tons per hectare so between those two roughly 30 tons of
1: okay oh wait material. wait so it's two crops I missed that.
0: yeah he's got two crops. Oh
1: here. okay well there you go that then now now I'm starting to get it. Yeah I, I mean you can't apply 120 pounds and expect that's going to take care of two crops so yep you are definitely short on nitrogen then uh, so you just have to apply more nitrogen. I don't know what more to say if it rains a lot, in that soil then yes you could leach some nitrogen out but if it if you go through a dry period then the nitrogen isn't going to move around very well so you want to get the nitrogen applied earlier again it's a heavier soil
0: about 40 inches of moisture if i do this conversion yeah
1: but i don't know when that comes That's my point. So maybe they have a dry season and a wet season. If you're doing it in the dry season, you always want to be early with the nitrogen application, okay? And that could be what's catching you is you're applying it later. It doesn't rain, and then you go, oh man, this nitrogen isn't. I'm having nitrogen issues. Well, yeah, you didn't get it on early enough. On the flip side, in your rainy season, if you have one, then we want to do it much more timely. In other words, we want to be like right when the crop is going to need that nitrogen and put it on then. So, yeah, I, d- I don't have like all the data here that I would like to have on things. And even for base saturation, I kind of question what exactly I've got here because they don't, they aren't running the base saturation test like we would normally run it. I also don't have parts per million on potassium. So, I just, I, I don't have all the data that I'd like to have. So I guess that's kind of where I'm, I'm going on this. I'm, I, I can help you on the sulfur, maybe on the nitrogen, but I, I can't answer a whole lot of other questions.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions. Yeah, if you got more, just send them to us. Logan, we really appreciate the support. Got this one from David out in Pennsylvania. He said, hey, guys, if you've got a higher bulk density dry fertilizer like potash and you blend it with a lower bulk density dry fertilizer like urea, Is the potash thrown further away from the spreader than the urea because the difference in bulk densities or would they spread more evenly since they're
1: blended together? No. I I mean, well, it's possible it could spread more evenly, but yeah, you're probably going to have a little bit of variance there. So the higher the bulk density, the farther out you can spread it. I, I mean, think about if you try to throw something that weighs almost nothing, it doesn't go very far. If, if you throw something that's got at least some uh, bulk to it, some weight to it, you can get it out there quite a ways. So this is part of the reason why air, these air applicators, these, the, the floaters uh, the, with the big booms, um, why they have gotten more popular. Because then you can put any fertilizer out. It's really not that big a deal And it, it, when it's dropping straight down. When it's a spinner spreader and you're throwing it out, it does get to be more challenging when you have products with different bulk densities in that spreader. So I I guess I don't know what more to say other than that.
0: All right, Brent, last thing, uh, uh, grid or zone sampling. You guys do grids. Yep. Why not zones? Once you do these variable rate applications for a few years, do you think you will move to zones?
1: Um, We could move to zones, but grids are simple. I like simple. Uh, So here here's the thing i don't care what you do if it's grid or zone but please go small at least in the beginning at least one time If you can do one-acre grids or one-acre zones, you're going to be way better off. You're going to find the variance. Now you're in pretty good shape moving forward. Once you've found that variance, you can fix a lot of those things. And in the future, yeah, it's possible you could go to bigger grids or bigger zones. But at least one time, and especially the first time, go small on the grid or the zone size. You will be happy.
0: Soil testing is super important on our farm. If you've got questions as you go along this fall and you're pulling soil tests on your farm, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more AgPHD Radio.